You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Welcome into The Weekly Brew, your source for political, social, and sports content brewed up in today, 30 minutes or less. Now, you might be wondering why you're listening to the podcast on a Wednesday right before Christmas, and it's because here at The Weekly Brew, we're kind of working from home, and we decided there was nothing better to do than to record a supplemental episode, sort of a bonus episodes of sorts, and uh, I am joined today by Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxton. Guys, how are you doing? Boy, I have a radically different take on why we're doing this podcast today. It's not because I don't have anything better to do. It's because I enjoy podcasting. I enjoy getting information out and because we saw some uh, really good films uh, that we had talked about earlier on the podcast. So that's the that's the, my reason for the supplemental episode. Um, I'm not sure that I don't have anything better to do, but, uh, but still all the same. I'm happy to be here and uh, happy we're all here. Just to clarify, we constantly have a, a group thread going on our iPhones, and we definitely talk podcast 24-7. So uh, we are definitely invested in this, and we definitely have appreciated the feedback that our uh, followers have given us this past week and the, the past few weeks, and just you know making the first 20 episodes special. So we kind of wanted to give back to our fans, and uh, we know a lot of you are going to be seeing some films this holiday season uh, while you have the Christmas and New Year's break coming up, and we would just wanted to preview uh, two movies that we did see, uh, kind of bouncing a little bit off of Dave Morales' interview that we had in episode 19. We all had the opportunity to to watch both Star Wars and Concussion, and we'll discuss that in a little bit. But beforehand, uh, Jeremy, I guess, how are you doing today? I mean, we're finally having you on from the beginning of the episode for the first time in a few weeks. <laughs> for the first time in a while. Yeah, no, make, make no mistake, Austin. Um, happy to be here, but mostly because I'm so happy to not be at work at a bank a few days before Christmas. Uh, there is nothing worse than banking before the holidays. So um, no, definitely. I nothing better to do than a podcast today. <laughs> so we're actually two days into the week. We're recording on a Tuesday right now, and it's kind of unscripted. So we're not exactly sure how this is going to go. But Kevin, as I understand, you've had somewhat of a difficult week, and it's not because of iTunes reviews. Do you want to kind of pull the curtain behind and uh, show the listeners what's going on in your life right now? Well, let's not downplay the iTunes reviews. There haven't been any new ones uh, since we did the episode last week, so I am unhappy about that. But but more specifically, kind of speaking to the feedback we've gotten from uh, listeners, um, I've heard some of that feedback, and so I'm trying something a little different today audio-wise. I'm actually going to be podcasting in the same room as my microphone, and I think that that may result in a better sound. So hopefully that will fix the problems we had last week. And uh, Kevin actually was recording through a different microphone last week on last week's episode. So uh, we're happy to have Kevin's microphone back on the podcast. It's going to be big for the show. Before we dive into things, we just want to remind our fans that you can make Kevin's week a little bit better and go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a five-star review. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. And you can also follow us on our social media platforms, facebook.com slash weeklybrewcast, twitter.com slash weeklybrewcast. And you can also find us on Instagram slash weeklybrewcast. And if you haven't listened to episode 20 yet, I definitely recommend you checking it out. We talked with Brian Hazard of Color Theory, who was quite an amazing interview. And we also spoke with Larry Little who gave us his rundown on college football predictions. And uh, right now I'm actually watching college football, as you can imagine, while we're podcasting. So it's kind of insightful to have those analytical aspects behind the game that's currently on TV right now. But before we dive into the movie reviews, which we specifically wanted to record on this bonus episode, we wanted to give a shout out to a former Rocket standing at seven foot six, Mr. Yao Ming. Kevin, you want to enlighten the audience? Is it Mr. Yao Ming? That's that's 
I've never heard him referred to as Mr. Yao Ming. I guess the New York Times would probably uh, call him Mr. Ming. But uh, he actually... We're being professional around the holidays. <laughs> I, speak for yourself. I'm not. I'm, I'm barely not swearing uh, as per your policy. But uh, Yao Ming uh, is now being considered for the Hall of Fame uh, going through the International Committee. So essentially, uh, how the Hall of Fame here works, the Naismith Hall of Fame, uh, he could have been elected as a contributor, um, meaning like his contributions to the game, building it in China. You know, he's still tremendously popular there um, in the Rockets, actually uh, still tremendously popular there. I've read a stat that says the Rockets are viewed by more people in China every game than they are in America, which is the numbers work out. Of course, it makes sense. But um, Yao Ming, a personal favorite of mine, of course, that was during the uh, the Tracy McGrady era. Tracy McGrady was my personal favorite. Uh, Do you guys think uh, that Yao Ming is deserving of the Hall of Fame? um, And and what do you think of him being uh, elected through the International Committee rather than going through the North American Committee and you know having to be put up against names like Shaquille O'Neal and Allen Iverson? Yao Ming was so exciting to watch, but he had a short-lived career. I mean, he debuted in the NBA in 2002-2003 and finished up in 2011, and he just played five games that year, but it's kind of unfortunate. But you look at the rundown on his numbers, I mean, he shot an average of 52% from the field. He averaged 19 points a game, nearly two block shots. Uh, you know, total rebounds were just a hair under averaging a double-double a game. Uh, but he was just a fun player to watch and uh, definitely entranced uh, the city of Houston and also captured a new audience in, uh, you know, China. And China still remains uh, a heavy market for the NBAs. You see several players going over there during the offseason to promote their brands. In addition to Yao Ming be one of the first-year Basketball Hall of Fame nominees, uh, another local product, Cheryl Swoops. I don't know if you guys remember the comments before they folded, but they won, f- yeah, they won four WNBA titles. And uh, she's kind of a local legend herself, and she is one of the nominees as well. But yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a great honor for Yao Ming, and he continues to play a critical part in the community. And I couldn't like the guy more. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I personally appreciate that he's up for consideration. Uh, it's sort of Byzantine, the way people get to the Hall of Fame, but as an international player rather than as a North American committee player, because I think he deserves to be there. Now, I personally you know, wish he hadn't turned down the opportunity to be uh, elected through the um, uh, contributor uh, route, because I think that that's actually... You know, one of the reasons he's most deserving of being there is numbers and longevity of his career don't necessarily suggest someone that ought to be in the hall. But to me personally, the way he grew the game, um, the way he was a unique force in the game, both on the court and off the court, and just the fact that he's a really great guy who's constantly an ambassador for the sport. I think this idea of being, you know, elected through the international committee, which is sort of a fast track to being a Hall of Famer, is a good compromise. And uh, and I think he deserves to be there. I think that the hall would be incomplete without his presence. Um, And it speaks to the nature of the hall as well. For those of you that aren't familiar with the growth of Yao Ming and kind of uh, what he did for basketball, specifically in China, uh, roughly right now, according to Forbes, 300 million people in China play the game of basketball. That's according to the NBA. And uh, the NBA has announced that they are going to uh, you know, continue to play preseason games in China. They did that twice this year, including one game in Shanghai and another one in the Guangdong province, which is in uh, South China. But uh, you know, they're, they're definitely making that long-term investment. And uh, you know, the NBA is trying to grow internationally. I mean, we have so many international players uh, coming into the league year in and year out. And the NBA has, uh, you know, said that they want to have preseason games, not just in China, but in Mexico, England, Germany, Turkey, Brazil. So uh, Yao Ming was kind of the forefront for letting the NBA go global. But 
Uh, Jeremy, I know you grew up in Houston. You grew up a Rockets fan. What were some of your memories with Yao Ming? To tell you the truth, um, Yao Ming was he's kind of a big deal for, for Houston in that, you know, not only is he an international player, but he's an international player that's so unique. I mean, you just don't see basketball players from China every day. Um, and, and just to you know speak to, to his impact, I mean, I, I didn't really get into basketball until, um, I mean, like apart from the Clutch City years, um, it was when players like Yao Ming um, you know, we're playing that I paid attention more to the sport in Houston. So um, it definitely had a, had a big impact um, in terms of the, the Rockets and their footprint internationally, but then also just bringing the sport to more people in the city. Um, I, I definitely feel like he, he had a huge impact in Houston and really still is. Um, just speaking to the impact he's had in China, here I'm seeing these articles from Chinese newspapers about his potential induction into the Hall of Fame. So um, to the point that he's had an impact not only here in Houston, but internationally, um, he, he definitely has, without a doubt. So um, his inclusion in the Hall of Fame um, could, could it comes as no surprise to me, even though I don't follow basketball as closely as you guys. Now I know why you're all here today, and that's so you can hear us chat about Star Wars and the movie Concussion, which we all had the opportunity to screen on Monday night. And as you heard through the intro music, we're talking Star Wars. Guys, what did you think of the new film, The Force Awakens? First impressions would be that, um, I don't know if you guys watched Arrested Development, but if you know anything about that show, it, it uh, was very popular with a small group of people, was sort of forced off the air, and then was so popular, people wrote so many letters and so forth, that they actually brought it back uh, exclusively on Netflix and did like a Netflix-only um, s- season a while after the show shut down. And so that's kind of the same model, and I have the same opinion, which is that this Star Wars movie, given that it was going to get made, all the money and marketing behind it, um, it's as good as it possibly could be, which isn't you know, isn't incredible, but I, you know, I was, I wasn't underwhelmed. I wasn't overwhelmed. I was properly whelmed, I think. And, uh, it was, it was an enjoyable experience. Austin, you said it made you feel like a kid again. I, I had some moments like that, but, um, oh, by the way, spoiler alert, we're going to, we're going to spoil a lot of stuff, uh, in this film. So if you haven't seen it, um, skip ahead, maybe, uh, we'll also spoil concussion, but that's a true life story. There's really not much there to spoil, but, uh, so, uh, in terms of, uh, the movie itself, Han Solo, uh, you know, wait, you have seen this, right, Jeremy? Uh, yeah. Oh, no, I, I see it. Sorry. Yeah, no, uh, Han Solo, uh, dead. And I think everybody saw that coming. Obviously, by far the highest paid actor uh, of the of the group. And I felt like he was kind of phoning it in. Um, and so he kind of had to go, I think. Uh, there could not have been less drama in that scene where he gets the lightsaber plunged through him. And it couldn't have been more obvious what was coming either. Um, so that was, that was an underwhelming moment for me. And then Carrie Fisher... Uh, you know, interesting to have these characters back, but she has, and it's not very feminist of me to comment in this fashion, but I really can't help myself. She's had a lot of work done and she has lost the ability to emote. Uh, there is no scene in which she is showing any visible emotion because of the rigidity of her brow. Um, and it is, it's appalling to watch. So that really kind of took me out of the movie going experience a couple of times. Um, and I felt like Harrison Ford was kind of phoning it in a little bit. Uh, that said, I mean, I, I love Harrison Ford. I'd love to meet him and shake his hand someday, but, um, but was not impressed with his performance in this movie. Uh, did love the two young actors though. I mean, what, what were you guys just in terms of the acting performances? How would you grade this movie out? I thought the two young actors did a fantastic job, especially John Boyega. Um, if we're going to talk about emoting, uh, I think he played very well into his character um, very, uh, I was really impressed with him and Daisy Ridley, but more impressed by, by, by John Boyega. You know, I don't know if you guys were paying attention, but when it was announced that he was cast in that role, there was a little bit of, 
tension on Twitter and, and social media because of uh, because of his race, and I mean, he just blew it out of the park in my mind. So um, I was really happy to see um, his performance as good as it was, and um, really impressed with J.J. Abrams and his casting decisions for both of these young actors. Um, Kevin, I have to echo some of your sentiment about Carrie Fisher. I agree she did not emote very much. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's been 32 years since uh, the last Star Wars film, and uh, it, it, time has not been as kind to her as uh, maybe some other actors. But uh, yeah, she she definitely has had um, enough done to her face where it, it's it's harder for her to communicate what she's feeling. Um, if we're just talking about my overall impression of the movie, I was actually really happy with it. Um, you know, this is uh, one of those things that J.J. Abrams, it could have destroyed his career or it could have made it. And I think uh, it's closer to making it than anything. I mean, based on the opening, this is bigger than Jurassic World. I believe up to this point, it's actually the biggest opening ever uh, with over $200 million in the bank just that opening weekend. Um, I, if, if I have one criticism of the movie, it's um, it, it was a little derivative in its plot, but based on, I think, the three abortive prequels that are not in the Star Wars canon, um, Abrams really had no choice but to kind of play it safe with the plot. So um, I don't know about you guys. Uh, what did you think about where the story went and how it ended? So I thought it was very, very similar to some of the older uh, Star Wars. And when I say older, I mean the original. Uh, specifically, there was an article on Vox this week that said that it was essentially just a ripoff of uh, The New Hope. And I know Star Wars fans aren't going to like hearing that. But, you know, and it, it does have good reviews on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. It's, it, I believe it's at 95% right now, which I think is a tad bit too high. But, you know, it did gross over $500 million globally, and it still hasn't debuted yet in India. Uh, but if you look at it, it, it it's very, very similar in terms of storyline. I mean, you have a guy who, you know, looks like Darth Vader in there, you guy who looks like Obi-Wan Kenobi that, you know, have the same, uh, you know, type roles. There's a there's a weapon uh, that's, you know, made out of a planet that is very, very similar toward, uh, you know, the original Star Wars. Uh, and then you have some of the older characters, you know, such as Mark Hamill and uh, Carrie Fisher, who kind of uh, come into the show a little bit. But, uh, you know, despite all of that, I thought, you know, as you had mentioned, Jeremy, that J.J. Abrams did do a solid job. And I definitely enjoyed watching it for about two and a half hours. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm probably going to disappoint a few people. But if I have to choose between J.J. Abrams and the first two Star Trek movies that he produced and directed compared to this Star Wars episode, I kind of have to put my hat toward Star Trek. And I know that might disappoint some people, but uh, that's just how I feel. No, I'm totally with you there. I'm wondering why that is, because I've been thinking about that as well. And I do think the first Star Trek movie is much better than the second one, uh, Into Darkness, I believe is a subtitle. But what what is it? Is it something about the source material or is it something about um, the stories, the universes he's working with that makes Star Trek a better candidate for a reboot than Star Wars? Because... Um, I don't know. I do perceive a difference there. I think Star Trek is a better movie. This is more like an homage. I think that that's exactly right, Kevin. I think that Star Wars and J.J. Abrams, he didn't want to mess with anything. He didn't want to go and, you know, pull in his own creative flair. You know, one thing that I did notice is that J.J. Abrams did not use any lens flares uh, in this film. And that's something that he is well known for doing, especially in the Star Trek movies. But I think Star Trek, you know, they go with the times, you know, they use the technology that they had. But, you know, you even look at the screen wipes that you see in Star Wars, and it's very, very similar to what you saw uh, in the 80s. And, uh, you know, I think that he was, you know, trying to pay tribute uh, to the original three episodes of the franchise. And I don't think he wanted to stray too far away from it. But uh, I think for the next two episodes, I think he's going to have to take risk. I think especially with Han Solo being out of it, who 
you know, almost was the face of the franchise. Uh, I think that he he's going to have to take risk. And I know that Disney plans on having, uh, you know, new Star Wars episodes come out every year and a half. So, and, you know, I believe they're going to go past seven, eight, and nine as well. Uh, so it, it's going to be interesting to see what the longevity is like for the franchise. But, uh, you know, Star Wars has a cult-like following and people are going to watch it. I mean, right now, if you turn on TV, you're being inundated by Star Wars ads, whether it's for a car commercial or ESPN. Uh, so it's everywhere right now. And uh, box office pundits believe that it's going to gross uh, well over $2 billion. So just keep in mind that Disney, just a few years ago, spent $4 billion on the Lucasfilms franchise. Uh, so I think Disney is coming out way ahead in this scenario. Awesome. I'm thinking about one reason why, and, and, and just just uh, so the audience knows, J.J. Abrams is not directing either episodes 8 nor 9. Um, they Disney will be handing off the reins to two other directors, two different directors actually, emulating the way that the first three series um, occurred, or the first three in the series occurred. If I'm thinking about why he played it safe, um, and, and just thinking about this in my own head, we have so much emotional baggage tied to Star Wars in a way that we don't to Star Trek. And I, I think that's what allowed him to create and um, put a little bit more of his own individual flair as a director into Star Trek than Star Wars. Um, I, I think Abrams is very mindful of just how bad the prequels were and uh, the revulsion that critics and older fans alike had to them. So. Um, yeah, I, 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 overall though, I, I think he did a great job given what, um, he was expected to do. Here's, here's something else to look for. Uh, Mark Hamill limited role, obviously actually didn't speak a word in this particular film. We just see him bearded. Um, did you guys see Jay and, si- Jay and silent Bob strike back? Absolutely. And then that's and Mark Hamill was in that. That's the most recent thing I recall him from. What did you walk away with a positive impression of his ability to act uh, at this point? <laughs> You know, that's the funny thing is Mark Hamill, uh, he, like you said, he hasn't been in much. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to look at the two career trajectories that Hamill and Harrison Ford had. I mean, Harrison Ford obviously made it big with uh, Indiana Jones, Star Wars, and is now one of the highest paid actors in Hollywood. And Mark Hamill, I mean, he's disappeared. Let's look at his IMDb list right now. Just the things that he's in. Uh, he was in The Flash, the TV series. Uh, regular show, which I've never heard of. Uh, he played Skips. Uh, Hunt the Truth. Miles from Tomorrowland, Ultimate Spider-Man, the TV series, uh, Lego DC Superheroes, Regular Show, the movie, never heard of it, Batgirl, A Matter of Family, a video game, uh, Transformer Rescue Bots, not the movie, the TV (laughs) series, and he made a big appearance in 2015 in Scooby-Doo Moon Monster Badness. Who can forget that? What we saw from him in The Force Awakens is probably going to be the peak of what we see from Mark Hamill. I think that the first second he opens his mouth, and I feel so mean saying this, and it is mean, I guess. It's right for me to feel mean. But um, I think that he's going to ruin it because he's been terrible uh, universally since he's been out of Star Wars. And I think that what was good about Star Wars sort of placed him in the right place and right time to look better than he was. So I think that, uh, you know, they sort of, he, he's like an anchor that's going to bring this series down if they rely too heavily on him. So I'm curious to see what they do with him um, because his him, him as an actor speaking, you know, and the things that we just listed out there, a lot of them are voiceovers. Him as an actual actor, I think is going to be a bad thing for this series. And, uh, and we'll see if that plays out. Austin, he had a hard time getting a, a, a time, you know, a time life movie or not a time life, but a lifetime movie after this. Um, after his original role in Return of the Jedi, I mean, he was in a couple things, but his career just never took off. So, um, if anything, these uh, these films are going to be a salvation for his career, um, but certainly not this one with just his cameo basically there at the end. 
What else stuck out for you about the film? Uh, I love that there was an interracial relationship, uh, that the protagonist was a woman. You know, I, obviously we have, um, you know, the, the Stormtrooper character, Finn, but uh, it's really not about him. It's really about her journey, and she's sort of the hero. And there's actually a moment early on in the movie um, that I thought was one of the more entertaining moments where he is lapping up water after he's been walking in the desert, um, and he sees her getting attacked, and he goes over to kind of save her, I guess, and then while he's approaching, she fights off the bad guys, you know, uh, very adept. And and then actually comes and assaults him and knocks him out. So I thought that was an interesting moment, and uh, you know maybe like a a, a nice moment for you know uh, women in movies or, or what have you. I thought that uh, it, it made me chuckle, and it sort of gave me a good feeling about the you know philosophical underpinnings of this film and the people making it. You know, one thing about me is that I actually have not seen a lot of movies recently in the theater. I usually wait for uh, you know them to come on Netflix, Amazon Prime, or HBO. Uh, but I actually, you know, saw Star Wars on Sunday, and then on Monday night, all three of us had the opportunity to go pre-screen the new concussion film featuring Will Smith and Alec Baldwin. And, uh, you know, I think we all had high hopes about the film, but I think we all walked away a little bit disappointed. And Kevin, I'm going to start with you. You actually wrote a review for Houston Community Newspaper. Go ahead and fill in the listeners what you thought critically of the film. Yeah, it's a good plug. You can always read my work at yourhoustonnews.com. Just search for my full name, um, Kevin Cook. But uh, yeah, I was I was definitely disappointed. Now, I didn't necessarily expect a great film, um, so I don't know if I was you know um, disappointed per se, but I think that... I- I kind of perceived what this film could have been, particularly since it's an issue I care a lot about. You know, I watched League of Denial. You know, I've read a lot, um, kind of followed Chris Nowinski as he's sort of um, gained some publicity steam. And so I I was aware going in of what this movie could have been uh, in terms of educating a very broad swath of the public about CTE, about what football does to people and, and how we as a society have responded to it. But I ultimately just kind of walked away feeling like the movie was, I think drab is the word I used in my review, dull the writing was very poor um i think you guys all remember that moment where uh you know he sort of cut to the guy who's looking at the uh the slides that amalu's given him and he, he looks up and he pauses he goes this brain is terrible and that's the sort of really poor writing that defined the movie for me so it's just it was a mess it wasn't good nothing about it stood out will smith was fine uh, albert brooks was uh, a very pleasant surprise i thought he was he was very funny um as cyril wecht uh who, who may be the most fascinating character from the movie i don't know if you guys realize this but he was a guy that worked on uh he did some work on like the jfk conspiracy and he uh examined uh john benny ramsey like it, he's had a really interesting life uh none of that covered in the movie of course but uh yeah so i walked out feeling like Eh, it's not really going to win hearts and minds the way that it could have, I think, and uh, it's not going to make the impression that it potentially could have. And the NFL kind of dodged a bullet in terms of a movie um, stepping up to call it out on its complicity and covering up CTE and concussion uh, data. But uh, this movie is just not enough of a threat to really make that kind of an impact, I think. What do you guys think? Critics actually agree with you. Rotten Tomatoes has it at 58% right now. And I I do think that, uh, you know, they missed the mark here. I think that Will Smith is going to draw a crowd, uh, you know, as an actor. He's a great actor. Alec Baldwin's going to draw a crowd. Another great actor. They had an opportunity, and I think they whiffed. Uh, I think a lot of it was focused on Amalu and uh, his personal life, his personal journey, rather than tackling the issue at hand. And uh, Kevin, I know there was one thing that definitely stood out for you, and it was toward the early part of the episode when you hear, uh, you know, Amalu watching uh, ESPN uh, prior to Monday Night Football, and 
hearing a segment entitled Jacked Up. And if you're not familiar with Jacked Up, Jacked Up Up ran from, I believe, 2006 to 2008. And what happened is prior to Monday Night Football on ESPN, they would go through and they would show the most violent, aggressive hits of the week. And uh, right after you would see a guy get concussed, you would hear the panelist say, he got jacked up. And uh, it didn't really go over well, especially when, uh, you know, Dr. Malu's studies started coming out. And uh, now if you watch ESPN and Monday Night Football, you'll uh, see a segment called Come On, Man. And that is what replaced it. So I don't know. I think there was a lot left to be desired. And uh, there were some casting issues overall. I mean, Roger Goodell, does anyone want to guess who played him? I mean, it was it was Luke Wilson. I mean, that makes no sense to me. No one saw that coming. I, I think for me, one of the most fascinating things was actually being in the preview and hearing everyone moan and groan and, you know, make side comments throughout everything. Uh, I mean, it it's it's an okay film. I mean, if you've got nothing to do, if you've got two hours to kill, you know, I'd recommend going to see it. But, I mean, you're not going to walk away hating football or feeling more educated about the subject. I mean, uh, it doesn't dive into anything. I mean, there's there's been some films in the past, uh, you know, specifically focusing with Big Tobacco, disclosing the issues and uh, bringing the issues to light. And I just don't think this film did anything to uh, do anything for concussions and player safety. Jeremy, you had some thoughts on Luke Wilson particularly. That was sort of what you walked away talking about the most. So I'm curious to get your perspective on that role and the way it was cast. He did not capture the essence of Roger Goodell. Uh, and even if he could, he just, you can't take him seriously. I mean, the guy, I mean, for all that he's worth as an actor, I mean, he's been typecast. I mean, ever since old school, ever since, um, you know, movies like it that he's been in, I I just can't take the guy seriously. And I don't know about y'all last night, but I mean, it it was like he was reading lines off a cue card when he was, uh, speaking as Roger Goodell. So I totally miscast, totally, um, misplaced. I I was waiting for the punchline, honestly. Like I thought he was going to tell a joke when he was up there uh, trying to explain away the NFL's concussion policy and what it's done in the past to, to quote, address, you know, player health. So total miscast. If um, using that to kind of lead into my thoughts on the movie, um, I I actually was, the only thing I was really impressed with was Will Smith's performance. I do feel like he got into character um, pretty well. I was, I was, I mean, people are talking about him as, you know, giving him some Oscar buzz for his performance. I don't think he'll get it, but I do think he did a good job despite the movie's flaws. Uh, so uh, overall, I, I kind of, you know, Austin said what I, I wanted to say about it. It's an okay film. Um, they sort of, they did not give it to the NFL in the way that I thought they would. I thought this was going to be a lot more hard hitting. Uh, one way that they could have done that, I mean, I don't know, uh, some of the players that they, um, you know, uh, showed in the film, uh, Terry Terry Long, Andre Waters, it would have been much more powerful if they had taken what those players had been like in the NFL, sort of showed their glory days, and then sort of tracked them uh, up through these sort of embarrassing deteriorations and eventual suicide uh, that they all um, that they all did. And so, uh, yeah, definitely, I, I do feel like the NFL did dodge a bullet. Uh, it's not going to, I mean, football is such a, it's such a cultural force in our society, even today with all the CTE stuff. I, I don't see it going away anytime soon, and certainly not because of a movie like Concussion. Oddly enough, the NFL is, a, is sort of who I expected to get skewered. Dave Dewerson was who got skewered. He was depicted horribly in that film, way worse than like the NFL as an entity, which is alluded to. You know, you have the famous line from the uh, t- from the trailer, um, you know, they own a day of the week or whatever, and there's sort of this corporate entity, but he really doesn't run up against the NFL that often, um, and they come out looking much better than I would have expected. Dave Dewerson, though, looks horrible. And apparently his family is um, really unhappy with the way he was portrayed in this film. And I, I think deservedly so. I mean, what do you think? 
I agree. I mean, I thought he came off as that, uh, you know, very brash and then, you know, just hit uh, a steep end toward the end. You never see his character really develop. And I, I think that was, you know, just trying to force in so many different characters into a two hour time crunch. But honestly, I, something that we discussed after watching the film is that it was two hours and three minutes long, which felt about 30 to 45 minutes too long. I think some of the, the, the plot lines in the film just, you know, w- weren't there. Uh, and one thing that I think that, uh, the producers and directors definitely missed out on is capturing in what is going on right now. And I, I say that because I look specifically at two players that retired early this year from the San Francisco 49ers, one of which was Anthony Davis at 25 and Chris Borland at 24. Uh, both retired, you know, due to potential concerns over concussions. And, you know, uh, they were about to reach their, you know, financial primes of their career, uh, you know, possibly getting a uh, huge endorsement contractor, a new five, six-year deal, and they retired. Uh, And I think that, you know, the film could have maybe captured some of that a little bit and just to show that, you know, this is an ongoing issue and it's potentially only going to get worse for the NFL. On the subject of Dave Dewerson, it's like as if the NFL wasn't a villain enough for the film. They had to make a player with CTE who later commits suicide sort of an antagonist. Um, And in fact, that particular snippet where he um, gives some lip to Dr. Umalu after that board meeting, that did not happen. And that was a complete dramatization and in my opinion, completely unnecessary. He tells him to go back to Africa. Yeah, exactly. Which I was just, I, it was completely unnecessary. I, I think um, the, the film and several other places showed that Dr. Umalu did experience a, a significant amount of racism because, um, you know, because he was a doctor from Africa and I just discovered this um, horrible brain disease that somehow doctors up until then had not um, had not at all detected. So um, it was just unnecessary, in my opinion. Jeremy, you sent around an article in the group thread earlier today uh, from Grantland. It came out in 2012. And uh, Kevin, you had mentioned to us prior to this call that that was actually something that shaped your opinion about concussions in the NFL. Can you, do you want to expound on that for a second? Thanks to, uh, to Jeremy for sort of pointing me back to it, because I, as I began to reread it, I had the impression, you know, I had these very strong feelings, particularly being someone that covers sports. And I spent a lot of time um, at high school football games. Um, and I've seen a lot of kids get uh, you know, stretchered off the field. Kids suffer concussions. Kids suffer broken arms, legs, you name it. It's, it's, um, I do have ethical issues you know, with, with the sport of football and particularly with the fact that it pays my bills um, for the most part. So I, I, I have this really strong or these strong feelings about it. And I remembered reading this article on Grantland, which of course is my favorite website of all time. We know all about that. And I realized this really did uh, to a large extent inform this idea I have about football, which my, my opinion personally is that given what we know about the sport, what we're learning every day, the damage it's causing. I don't think that in 25 to 30 years, we're going to see football existing the way it does now. You know, a lot of people make that claim about like, oh, you want to make it flag football or whatever. Well, I don't know if that's like the terminus of this, but I think that we're heading in a direction where we just can't morally or ethically sustain this kind of interest in football, given what we know it does to people. And we've only scratched the surface, I think, of the of the damage that it has actually done. So um, it was interesting to look back at that. And I appreciate that, Jeremy, for, for pointing me uh, back to that because it, uh, it's kind of where these feelings that I had about football sprang from. One of the few lines that actually did stick out for me was at the end of the film when Dr. Molly speaking to the NFL Players Association. He mentioned that, you know, uh, soldiers sign up for defending their country and they know the consequences. They know that they can die. He said NFL players sign up knowing that they can bro- break a leg. They can, you know, tear an ACL or MCL. They don't think they're going to die. 
Uh, and, and so that's just kind of uh, something that makes you think. And I, Kevin, I do agree that I think the NFL and football in general is going to, uh, you know, kind of uh, change a little bit as we move into the next 20, 30 years. And I think we're already starting to see that uh, in the United States through high school as the numbers for high school athletes playing football have actually started to dip a little bit. Yeah, Austin, I mean, to your point, youth youth participation in football overall has declined over the past couple of years, and it is in no small part because of the uh, concussion controversy that um, has resulted primarily from uh, Dr. Umalu's discovery and publishing that paper back in 2005. So, um, yeah, it's I, I, I just to your point, I think football is going to change in a big way in the next 20, 25 years. And, Kevin, I, I absolutely agree. I don't think the football of tomorrow will look like the kind of football we're seeing today. Um, it, it will. Time will tell whether the rule changes that have been uh, put into effect here within the past couple of years will have a positive impact on player health in the future. But um, until that, until we see evidence of that, I, I think that uh, participation in the sport by by young kids um, at the past of their parents is only going to keep, only going to decline. That ties interestingly into uh, Dr. Amalu, of course, wrote an op-ed piece for the New York Times. I, I, I'm trying to look it up here. I believe the name is "Don't Let Your Kids Play Football." Yeah, don't let kids play football is the name of it. And he talks about how, you know, there are ages of consent. Like, we don't let children drink. We don't let children consent to having sex before a certain age. You know, there are these things we prevent kids from doing smoking, uh, not until they're 18. Um, and he, he, he is of the opinion that because of the damage it does, particularly to young brains, that there ought to be, uh, I guess, an age of consent for playing contact sports, which football, of course, is. And um, I've read it. A lot of people had strong feelings about it. And I felt like it was one of those things where people didn't necessarily read it and had strong feelings based on like the headline or whatever, but it's hard to read it and not agree with it. Um, you know, he says that, you know, ideally you'd want kids to be 18 to 25, not kids, adults at that point, um, before, you know, you really want them playing contact sports because that's the age the brain becomes fully developed. And the, the risk is not just people ha- have this idea that it's concussions. It's not just concussions. Uh, if you're playing offensive line, defensive line, there are sub concussive hits that occur on literally every play that do, uh, enough damage long-term that you can still wind up with CTE and the, the symptoms of it. Like, you know, the, um, uh, erratic moods, uh, violence, you know, hearing voices, all these kinds of crazy things. It's not necessarily that you get X number of concussions that are diagnosed. It's like every play, um, there's harm being done and it's a question of whether we want that happening or not. So, I, I mean, I don't know if he has a side necessarily. I, I, I'm, if he does, I'm on it. I think that, you know, it's too, it's too violent, too dangerous. I would never let any kid of mine play football. Would you? Uh, at this point in the science, uh, what, what we know, uh, what, what, I've, what I've seen personally in some of my work with um, brain trauma patients, I absolutely would not. And uh, more to your point, Kevin, you are absolutely right. It is not just documented concussions. It is every successive hit and just that continual subconcussive trauma of the brain that does the damage. I mean, it is concussions, but it's also that sort of just routine, you know, in practice, in games, everything. I, I, I can't see my kid doing that in the future. Or even in a sport like soccer, uh, where you're, you're heading the ball, um, CTE is also, has already affected other sports, not just football. You have athletes such as uh, Taylor Twelman, who was at the peak of his game playing for Team USA and the national team, called it quits early because of concussions. He's been a very big advocate uh, for uh, actually banning players heading the ball, uh, you know, until the high school level. So I think it's uh, uh, definitely interesting uh, with that. But uh, one of the one of the facts I want to point out is from a League of Denial and PBS Frontline. It says a total of 87 out of 91 former NFL players have tested positive for the brain disease at the center of the debate over concussions in football. According to new figures from the nation's largest bank, focus on the study of traumatic head injuries. Uh, so the problem's not going away anytime soon. 
So obviously, as we wanted to record the supplemental bonus episode, we wanted to give you a preview and kind of our insights into the film Star Wars and the the concussion movie starring Will Smith. Uh, We know a lot of you are going to be heading out to the movie theaters this upcoming week, and uh, we really enjoyed our conversation with Dave Morales in episode 19 a few weeks ago. So we kind of wanted to do this. But guys, if you're grading both films, what would you tell the listeners? Give it a letter grade. Uh, I texted my mom this after uh, Star Wars, so I, I'm pretty confident in this one. B minus for Star Wars. Um, again, it's as good as it could have possibly been. Um, didn't take many risks. Shouldn't have, because if you recall the earlier films, they they took what might be called risks and ended up with movies about intergalactic senates, which kids love. Um, you know, movies about politics. But uh, so I, I said B minus, and I, I'm sticking with that. And then in terms of concussion, ah, it's it blah C minus probably. Uh, what do you guys think? I think I'm, I'm probably on the same lines as you. I'm going to go with uh, C- for Concussion. I mean, it's one that I'd recommend for Netflix or Amazon Prime. And even then, I wouldn't, you know, watch it when it first comes out. Uh, Star Wars, uh, it was, it was a, you know, an entertaining film. I wouldn't put up there in my top 10 or 15, but, you know, I'd give it a probably a B, B plus, somewhere in that range. Uh, it was definitely entertaining. And for the $12, I think it was worth uh, the movie, uh, you know, going to see at the theater. But uh, Jeremy, I, I'm curious to hear what you think. Relative to other Star Wars films of the past, uh, you know, few years, I'm going to give Star Wars an A minus. Uh, it's only because I think Abrams, uh, on the whole, did a really good job given what he was tasked with doing. Um, and I also think about the what atrocity that George Lucas would have committed had he been at the helm of that film. So, um, A minus for for Star Wars, and I think for Concussion, I gave it a C plus. The plus only because of Will Smith's performance. Very interesting thoughts. So there you have it, folks. That's kind of our. Uh, supplemental episode covering both Concussion and the Star Wars films. And uh, we know that uh, this is going to be debuting right before Christmas. So we hope you enjoy the episode and uh, we hope you have a Merry Christmas with your family and friends. But just one quick reminder before we go, want to make sure that you go to iTunes, subscribe and like this podcast. Uh, let us know what you think, what you don't like, uh, but make sure you give us five stars. It's really important to our uh, ratings and so that we show up in our search uh, so that we show up in the iTunes search a little bit higher. Also check us out on Facebook, Twitter and social media. You can find us on all platforms at Weekly Brewcast. Uh, but guys, uh, thanks for recording the supplemental episode. I had a good time. Yeah, and let me just say that Christmas uh, is a very important time for a lot of people. The holiday season. You know, I don't say Merry Christmas. I say Happy Holidays to be inclusive. But uh, but the holiday season is all about giving back. And so we have given you this supplemental podcast. Uh, what what you should do for yourself in your holiday is give back by going and reviewing us on iTunes. It's uh, it's really a great, easy way to get that warm holiday spirit that you get. Um, it's a gift that will uh, really brighten my holidays, certainly, and uh, I think you'll feel better about yourself as a human being. So you know, just go up there, subscribe on iTunes, and leave a five-star review with uh, you know whatever you want to tell us. Uh, Austin has proposed, who's your favorite host? I think that's a little divisive, but uh, anything that you want to share uh, with us about how to improve the show or what you like about it, that... Uh, you know, that's that's really the way to feel warm and fuzzy this holiday season. Jeremy, any parting words? No, no, nothing. Just that um, I, I love reviewing movies. I love talking pop culture. So definitely had a fun time uh, recording this episode and uh, sitting in a bank. So uh, thank you guys for that. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, this is going to be episode 20.5. We will have episode 21 coming at you on Monday morning. But we thank everyone for listening. We hope you have a safe Merry Christmas and happy holidays. And for my co-host this week, Jeremy Paxton, Kevin Cook. I'm Austin Staten. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew. 